You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. I want to remind us of something before we read. Uh, last week, Peter shared with us that uh, he, he felt that his, his life or his ministry was coming to a close. Right? He felt like... Uh, you know, Jesus had essentially warned him and said, you won't be doing this very much longer. And then uh, there, was, there was a passage which we read and talked about. But the, uh, the passion and conviction and intensity that Peter has for the church and what he's sharing with them, I, I, I want to remind you that it stems from this idea that, you know, this, you know it's like if he had one last thing to say, right? Like if, if there was just a couple things to say, in his last letter to the churches, what's it going to be? And so last week we read about um, we read about those who who deny the uh, the truth of Christ, right? That Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, and that he's essentially not the Lord of all. And Peter kind of tackled that. And then in our passage this morning, in chapter two, um, we're going to find that. What he discusses uh, continues down the kind of the logical trail that he was on last week, where, where um, you know those those certain people deny uh, the lordship of Christ, and then this morning he he addresses a different issue, but it's down the same path. Okay. Um, I'm going to be reading uh, a long passage, so sit tight. And uh, pay close attention as we go through, because I'm obviously not going to be teaching on um, every verse or every part of the passage, okay? So let's read together in Second Peter. We're in chapter 2, and it's also going to be behind me on the overhead. Peter says, continuing from what he was teaching on in chapter 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought brought a flood upon the earth of the ungodly, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented. Uh, he, He was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially 
those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as a wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deception while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They, are un- they entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain for wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgressions. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. This is from the book of Numbers. These are waterless springs and mists driven by storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For, speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they had escaped the defilements of the world to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after it to turn back from the holy commandments delivered to them. What the true proverb says happens to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Let's pray together for a minute. Dear God, keep us in your ways of righteousness and deliver us from evil. God, I pray for us to see what you are showing us through Peter's words today. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the words of Scripture and and the words that come out of my mouth so that as I say them, that you would indeed be speaking to our hearts. God, we submit this to you and, and thank you for being here to bless us with the richness of your love and your mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... Pop quiz. Do we think that Peter likes the false teachers? Is he a fan? I get, we get the sense or the vague idea that he's not a fan, at least not a big fan, of these false teachers. No, he's, he's speaking very harshly and openly against them in this passage. But I want you to imagine for a moment, I thought of, of kind of an illustration perhaps of what's happening. Um, you're at a party or, or a social gathering of some kind. Uh, for some of us, for, for me, that's very hard to imagine, but I've, I've heard of them, and so I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll picture myself there. Um, no, but you know, you're at, at some kind of gathering, even here, and, 
And there's a bunch of people and, and there's that din of conversation, right? Where, wherever there's kind of different groups of people talking, the, their words just kind of flow into this cloud of sound around you and it's, it's just kind of a, it's just kind of a buzz, you know, and you can't really, you're not really listening to anything in particular, but it's this sound. There's something called the cocktail party effect, which is when you're in this situation and someone around you who you're not actually listening to uh, says something that is important to you, uh, especially your name. If someone in another group starts talking about you, subconsciously your brain immediately tunes in to what they're saying, right? And so um, this is kind of what I'm talking about. You're, you're at this party and you're not listening to any particular conversation, but then suddenly... Uh, the cocktail party effect kicks in and, and you hear someone nearby um, bring up the name of someone that you love and that you know, your best friend or your spouse or something, someone that you're, you know, the, the person that you're closest to and love the most and know the most. And so immediately you're like, wait a minute, you're not intentionally eavesdropping, but you're just, you know, suddenly capable of hearing this this conversation that these people are having and so you're standing kind of to the side and you're listening and as you listen um, very quickly it becomes apparent that the things that they're talking about about this person um, they're not good things right they're gossiping Um, they're slandering this person and the worst part about it is the things that, that they're saying as hurtful as they are, you know that they're uh, untrue, right? They're lies. Whoever it is, whatever they're saying, you know that they're, for some reason, slandering and, and making up lies about this person that you know and love and care about. So how would you feel in this situation? Right? How would you feel about it? I'm not sure if I've actually experienced this, but I've, you know, seen it on TV again and again. Uh, how would you feel standing there and overhearing someone, you know, telling lies and dragging your your friend or your spouse's name through the mud? You know, we'd be filled with all kinds of emotions, right? We would take the hurt and we would we would feel angry and and defensive. We would want to stand up for them and and um, Chances are we would, you know, we'd probably step in and just be like, hey, you know, I couldn't help but notice uh, or overhear that you guys are, are talking about Chris Lynn, my wife, and and like those things that you're saying, those that's not true at all. And, and you know, it would go from there and, and in a fist fight or something, I'm not sure. That's kind of the end of the analogy. Um, <laughs> but this is... I think this is a sliver, right, of what's happening with with Peter and his... It's just kind of a picture or a sliver of what's happening with Peter and his, his concern and his outrage against these, these false teachers who are infiltrating the church of Jesus. Because you see, Peter followed Jesus. Like, he literally followed Jesus, right? He followed him around, and he watched and participated and and wrestled with and experienced Jesus' ministry. And then, and, and his, you know, crucifixion in the own unique way that he experienced that. And as a result, he experienced the power of Jesus' forgiveness in his life, right? And his love for him. 
And because of it, he's been forever changed. He's been redeemed. Peter has committed his life to this cause of, of telling people about Christ, right? Laying down his life for, for the gospel message and spreading it and, and correcting and teaching the churches and leading them to, to growth and, and fruition. But then there are these others that he knows are going to come in and they're going to start misleading Christians. They're going to start teaching things that are based on lies or they're, or they're maybe they sound like the truth, but they're twisted or, or, or whatever. And so this is, this is, uh, you know, it's pastoral for him, but it's also personal. His outrage is, is deep and very, uh, meaningful and intense for Peter as he, as he sees these, uh, hypocrites. And then he calls them out and he warns his church against them. Okay? And Peter's not alone in doing this. If you've read other parts of the New Testament, you've probably heard this warning before, right? Against false teachers, false prophets, and the like. Uh, the other apostles warn us as well. We're warned over and over again to stay away from those who preach something that is compromised or, or goes against what Jesus has shown us. This is good for us as well, right? Because the problem persists. In fact, it would seem that false teachers or prophets have since then just continued to, you know, multiply and, and, and they're, they're present and, and we have to be aware of, uh, of what uh, Peter's warning us of in order to not be misled by, uh, their lives, right? And so Peter tells us, and I tell you to always pay attention to what you're being taught. You know, uh, if it sounds too good to be true, it might be too good to be true, right? You, you hold these things up to uh, what's, what's written clearly for us in Scripture and shown uh, to us through Christ, no matter who it's coming from. Because... As Peter has described, false teachers are dangerous. They're dangerous. And then he gives us ways of identifying them. Um, Peter lists three things that he, he sees that he kind of has an obvious problem with, okay, with false teachers. They're sins. So even if these people are, are boldly, boldly standing up and, and proclaiming the name of Christ, their lives are lived out in a way which defies the logic of that equation, right? Uh, their lives go against the what's true and what's what's in the word. Um, so Peter's examples are about sin. Jesus came and he taught repentance for sin, turning away from from wickedness and evil and back to God in repentance. And he, you know, he's shown us that greed is a sin, right? Greed is a sin against the God who gives freely and truthfully. Jesus teaches that lust is a sin against a God of covenant love and, and that lies and dishonesty are a sin against the God of truth, right? These are basic principles. These are basic things that, that a person who, who has heard and received what Jesus teaches will begin to walk in and live in, right? It's the natural result of, of a life in Christ is to turn from, repent from 
that life and walk down the path which God has created us for. Um, it's not, they're not really complicated things. So for Peter, they stick out like a sore thumb and it's, it's a way of identifying these false teachers. Um, I'll read to you from Psalm 1. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Excuse me. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked, on the other hand, are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked, uh, but the way of the wicked will perish. Okay, so the people of God have known for many, many generations that a righteous person's life is marked with righteousness, right? A righteous person's life uh, displays righteousness, not sin. Those that just, that, like I said, the equation doesn't add up if that's what it looks like. If you preach one thing, but the behavior goes against it. Uh, that psalm talked about a tree being fruitful, right? And and the righteous life is a fruitful one, blessed by God. On the other hand, the, the fruit of sin, uh, so to speak, is death. Okay, so for, for a prophet or teacher to, to come into a church or to be in conversation with a Christian or to write a book or whatever, whatever form it takes for them to you know, make the claims of Christianity, but then live sinfully. This is this is not okay, and it's, it's the flags are red. You know, when this is what's happening, it doesn't add up. It's as if it, it, it's like this. If I were here this morning, uh, standing in front of you guys to teach you about eating healthy, right? And and the benefits of a balanced diet, and I told you all about it and described, you know, what you should do if you wanted to um, eat right and whatever. And then when I was done, I walked out the door and went to wherever, McDonald's or something, and ordered the, the greasiest, filthiest food on the menu and, and just sat down and and ate that and continued to do that, you know, day in, day out. Like, what would, uh, that, my message would be, like, if you knew that, it would be totally torn apart. What I, whatever I would say would be pointless because it's hypocrisy. It's not living out what I'm teaching and preaching and saying that I care about. And so you're not, it's, you don't want to follow someone who does that or, or pay attention or care about what they say. So it's one thing for a person to, you know, live a double life, but it's a whole other thing for them to actually lead believers astray down that path as well towards destruction. It's not okay. So that's just that's kind of the gist of the the passage that we kind of blasted through. Um, out of the entire chapter, near the end is is verse. 19, and I'm going to let that kind of be our focus, uh, and 
not really a summary, but it's kind of what it boils down to in uh, chapter 2, verse 19. They, being false teachers, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. This is what it comes down to, and this is why Peter is furious at those who, who lead others astray with evil motives under the guise of Christianity, right? In order to manipulate, take advantage of, uh, for selfish gain and all that. So the first half, the first sentence in verse 19 shows their double-mindedness, their, their double-mindedness, right? Where, where they promise freedom on the one hand, and it sounds great, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. They don't know what freedom is, or if they do, they've turned from it in favor of, of a life of sin. And the second sentence, for whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. That's so good. That's a principle for, for any and all of us to remember and think about, right, as, as Christians as, as in our lives. Whatever we're enslaved, whatever we're overcome by, that enslaves us. Whatever overcomes us, whatever controls us or dictates us or drives us, you know, to these things, we're going to be slaves. And so, in terms of our faith and our walk with Christ, there's a, there's a problem that arises, right? Um, in Galatians 5, Paul says this, Galatians 5, 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so this is the continuation that I kind of referred to from chapter 1 and last week where Peter was saying, well, uh, you know, it's, it's important enough that I'm going to tell you now that, that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the Messiah. I, I witnessed it on the, on the mount when he was transfigured and he rose from the grave and so on and so on because all of our faith hinges on that, right? That if Jesus is not God, then we're just following a person. And so he was concerned with that in the previous. And then what he says and what he refers to from Paul's teaching this morning is, is the next step, right? That the reason that all of that is true and that Jesus did what he did was to set us free. It was for freedom that Christ came and freed us. It was not so that we could um, see it and maybe accept it, but then, you know, turn away back into the yoke of slavery. No, that completely goes against the entire purpose of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We need the freedom which he has came to provide for us. And so if there's false teachers who are, who are, you know, causing Christians to, uh, to question that or to entertain, uh, sinful lives and lives which aren't righteous and they don't glorify God at all, well then, again, it all falls apart, doesn't it? Because the whole purpose is for us to be freed from sin. Um, there's many, you know, there's many, many forms of, of false teaching uh, that's out there and that you've probably heard or, or whatever. Um, it, takes, it takes a variety of forms. There's legalism, which tells you that, you know, you have to make yourself 
righteous before you come before God instead of Jesus being our righteousness, which is what scriptures teach. Um, or there's the other end of the spectrum where um, God's grace is so overarching that um, sin is, is, is irrelevant and thus, you know, the, the lives we lead don't really actually matter because God will forgive us anyways, right? Paul teaches against that and this is kind of what Peter's angry about as well. These are these are two, you know, popular narratives which twist what Jesus taught to try and add or subtract or whatever. Um, but in either case, these are these are false gods. They're lesser. They're lesser gods. They're idols, which which uh, false teachers want us to fall for and, and bow before instead of falling for and worshiping the true God, right? And again, the problem is that these idols cannot and will not ever set us free, right? They will not ever redeem us and forgive us and love us in the way that God himself does when we are in relationship with him. God, on the other hand, he frees us from the sin that's killing us. He sets us free and redeems us to the life which we were created for doesn't he? So Peter says it, and I echo his words, to forget, you know, forget the twisted truths. Don't pay attention to um, mixed up messages about, about Jesus and, and God. Let Peter's words be a reminder that we are called into a life that is based out of the freedom which Christ uh, provided for us and lavishes on us in his spirit, right? We need to look closely at what people teach and say about Jesus. Um, does does, Does the message that they say line up with their lives um, do do people promise freedom but but in their behavior they're enslaved you know to sin and and idolatry does this teaching exalt jesus as the savior whose work is sufficient or do they see a gospel as a thing which has to be added to subtracted from or modified in order to somehow different what are the fruits of, of, of these people's lives right what are the implications or the end results what will the fruit be if we were to um, go down that path would it be good would it be the fruits of the spirit or would it be something different do, do not be overcome by anything other than Christ. This is essentially what Peter's saying in verse 19. We, 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 as Christians, we are not to be overcome by anything other than God himself, by Jesus, our Savior, the one true God, right? And when we do this, God promises us freedom that we can uh, live in and that his church can operate and thrive in. We were made for this. We were made to worship God, our Father, and to live in the abundance of that instead of worship to idols and half-truths and other things.
so Peter's telling the Christians this because he knows that, you know, false teachers are out there and they're, and they're going to be in the church with secret motives, he says. And, and so it may not always be obvious that they're here to mislead people, but they are. Peter's afraid that, that Christians who've known Christ and believed and tasted and seen the goodness of God will fall away, right, in favor of, of these lesser gods, which are um, slave drivers. He doesn't want that for us. It is for freedom that Christ set us free, not for slavery. So whether we're, you know, under the influence of bad teaching or we ourselves are prone to wander and make these idols out of our own doing, Peter reminds us that only God satisfies. Only God sets us free. The idols that people try to to lead Christians astray to or the idols that we're tempted by in life will just enslave us and leave us stranded. Okay? Another thing that Peter shared in in this chapter was that God hears and rescues us when we call on his name truthfully, God rescues the righteous. He saves them. So as we uh, take communion in a, in a minute here, I would ask that you would reflect and pray to seek God and, and cry out to him, right? To call on him for rescue and to ask God and the Holy Spirit to Humble you and show you, perhaps, where in your life and in your heart you have either been, you know, led astray or you've been overcome by something that is not of God and not from Jesus. As we look to God and, and surrender ourselves to him in this way, Know that he receives you with love and grace and his tender mercies, right? Um, he's our loving father and he, he loves us enough to not let us walk in sin or, or, or be controlled by lies, but to actually show us where we're erring and, and, and point us back to the way of righteousness and the things that he has in store for us. I'll get the band to come up and start playing again. So the band will start praying, and we have the opportunity, as we do each week, to to take communion, the symbols of Jesus, uh, death on the cross, his sacrifice for our sins, right? Uh, the juice represents his blood, which was uh, spilled for you and I, and the the Crackers broken represent his broken body. And by eating and drinking these things, we were saying yes to his sacrifice and, and accepting uh, his sacrifice in place of ours for our sins. And so do this with reverence and prayer and, and, and seeking God. And we'll find him in doing this in communion. Um, and before you come up, I will uh, read to you, I'll remind us of a verse from First Peter, uh, not so long ago, First Peter two twenty one to twenty four, where Peter talks about Jesus' death. 
it ties right into what he's teaching us today. He says, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That we can die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed.